Genesis chapter 22. And I want to leave with you this morning the verse 6. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and the knife. And they went, both of them, together. The wood, the fire, and the knife. He took all three. Now this account tells us that Abraham's trial, and it was a trial, God did try Abraham, it lasted three days. Three long, torturous days. There were three days of travel. There were two nights camping under the stars of heaven. The first three is day one. There are no accounts of day two. We just know that he traveled all that day. And then day three, the last day, it receives the largest account of all. And the account of day three runs from verse four on the third day down to verse 10. Uh, which we are considering in recent times as our text. And it is in this third day in which we find the verse that we're looking at this morning placed. Abraham has left his two servants. Isaac's going to carry the timber. And he proceeds on his journey with Isaac carrying the wood. He himself carries the fire, the blaze, the burning coals, and, and some kind of vessel. The burning coals are going to ignite the wood. He's carrying that in one hand. And then he has the knife in the other hand. So we read, he took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac. He took the fire in his hand and a knife. So he takes three things on the journey. And there at that scene, we want to pause this morning. We want to see this picture that the Holy Spirit has painted for us. What does this picture present? How can we profitably reflect on the image that is conveyed to us in this picture? And let me suggest four things, and I hope to deal with them as we have time. First of all, we have a picture of determined obedience. And then secondly, we get a glimpse of the mystery of Calvary. And then thirdly, we also have a reflection on the pain and the suffering that there is in this obedience of Abraham. And then we have a striking image for all pilgrims to keep in mind and to somewhat replicate in their own lives. So so those are the four areas that we want to speak to you about. First of all, all the witnesses to this determined obedience is seen in these three things. The wood that he cleaved, that he puts in Isaac. The fire that he has in his hand, that he carries carefully, not allowing it to go out, so that he'll be able to ignite the wood that will burn Isaac to ashes, and then the knife that will go into his bosom and shed his, his precious blood. So all of these things, they manifest his resolve to obey God, his determination 
to carry it out on to the end, to comply with God's will without question. And last time, whenever we looked at this chapter, I did commence looking with you at the obedience of Abraham. And that's the main thing in this, in this portion, his obedience, this marvelous compliance to God's call. You know, and it's not only stated his obedience, it's painted, it's in detail. Verses 3 to 10, it's in detail. I mean, the text doesn't just say Abraham went to the place of which God had spoken and proceeded to slay his son Isaac as God had commanded him. That's all the text has to say. He obeyed God and he complied and he was about to do it. But that's not what the text says. It paints it. It has all the verbs in which Abraham is being engaged. Everything Abraham is doing the long, tor- torturous journey, and he's, he's complying. So it's not just stating who obeyed God. It's giving us a picture. It's, it's showing us a video in the words, if you like, of Abraham obeying God. It even shows us him getting up early in the morning. So God isn't just saying he obeyed me. God is showing it to us. He's letting us see the video the actual scene itself, and we're watching it in the words of the text between verses 3 and verses 10. So what I'm saying is the Holy Spirit gives gives a big picture of the obedience of Abraham. And we see him day by day, as I said, all the verbs of action in which he is engaged, cutting the wood, we see him carrying the fire, we see him, the knife in his possession, And all of this is described, particularly these three objects, they are described to give us a display of amazing obedience. He forgets nothing that is needed to do the job. No material is left behind, especially the sacrifice is not left behind. He brings Isaac too, along with these things. He's for obeying God. So all the tokens of full obedience are seen in these objects. They show his whole heart is in this business. He he reminds us of Caleb. In fact, God could say of Abraham what he said of Caleb, that my servant Caleb hath followed me Fully. Fully. That word fully, you can place here in Genesis chapter 22. Abraham has fully obeyed God. And you see it. There's no half-heartedness here. No coming up with excuses. No saying, oh, I forgot that. No you know, swinging the fire about, the blaze about, so that it goes out. There's, there's no nonsense He's for obeying God to the end. So obedience from God's servant Abraham. Now that's just Abraham all his life. That's what we expect from the commencement of his meeting with God. From he commenced walking with God. He was an obedient man. And it commenced a long time ago. It was 50 years about before this event. 
He commenced walking with God, and you know the story. God came to Abram and said, Get out of thy country, get away from thy kindred, go on to a land that I will show thee of. And he went. He obeyed God. And he never looked back from Genesis chapter 12. He never looked back. He didn't even know where he was going, but he went. Now he knows where he is going. He knows full well where he's going. He knows the place. He knows what he must do at the place. He knows what he must take to the place, all the tools he needs. And he goes, because that's Abraham. He obeyed God. Full obedience. And it's like Christ's obedience. Obedience unto the death as we said last week. Obedience unto the place of the sacrifice. As Abraham did not flinch, so Christ, our Savior, did not flinch. He didn't look back. He went the whole way to the cross, and our Savior's obedience was wonderful, and it's pictured here in this chapter 22 in Abraham. Now, of the obedience of Christ, the Bible says so much as my meat to do my Father's will, to finish his work. That's the attitude of Abraham. I give my back to the smiters. I give my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I didn't hide my face from shame and spitting. I wasn't rebellious, neither turned away back, even though it was difficult. And Abraham's like that. It's difficult, but he didn't turn back. He didn't even look back. He goes on to the end. And so that's Christ-like obedience. And we know, as we said last week, we know why Abraham did that, because he's a friend of God. That's why God can ask him. He can ask him because he's a true friend, and he knows that Abraham will obey unto the end. God knows this. And this is why Abraham does obey unto the end, because he is the friend of God. And he pictures Christ because Christ is the greatest and closest friend of the Father, his own Son. And God can ask his Christ to obey and to comply. And God can give to his Christ the great task of salvation, even though it involves much suffering. And he knows his Son will not turn back. And Christ will come and he will finish the work, and he'll go there to the end. He knows that of his Son. And that obedience of Christ is certain and sure and will be perfectly completed because he's the Christ of God, he's the friend of God, he's the Son of God. It'll be carried out. And that obedience of Christ has brought to the world unspeakable blessing, immeasurable blessing. Just like this obedience of Abraham brings to the nations immeasurable blessing. So Father Abraham, that's what we call him, he leads the way for us. He shows us how his children, saints, believers in Christ, how his children in faith should walk. And so the walk of the believer must be like the walk of Father Abraham It must be a walk of obedience to God. And there's no choice for us in this matter, congregation. 
there is no get-out clauses for saints. We must obey God. The Lord is to be obeyed. And to not obey him is to disobey him. And to disobey is sin. And it is sin because it disregards God's word, God's commands. So learn from Abraham that we have to obey God. And we can't leave any of the tools of obedience behind. We have to carry the fire, we have to carry the knife, we have to cleave the wood and we have to bring it along. And the sacrifice too. We can't leave any of the tools of obedience behind. We have to obey God to the end. We must not make excuses and we can never be a blessing to others if we are disobeying God. So we have to obey. What does the Bible say? To obey is better than sacrifice. And we see that in Abraham here. But then secondly, in this picture, provided in verse 6 of the man of God, going along with the farm with the knife and the wood on Isaac's back and the servants left behind and the two of them just going on alone. In that picture of the two of them in that solitary position going along, there is a type and a picture and a shadow, a glimpse of the mystery of Calvary. The Father and the Son Going along here. You see, they're alone. That's the context of verse 5. You wait here, he says to the servants. I and the lad will go yonder and worship and will come back again to you. So the two of them are going alone. It's the father only. And it's the only son only. The two of them together, alone together. The son bearing his cross. The son carrying the timber upon his back. The father going there too with the son, bearing the fire and bearing the knife. Do you not see Calvary? Are you not getting a glimpse here of the mystery of it all between the father and the son to the place of sacrifice of the son? Surely you see Calvary here. The Christian churches always saw Calvary here. The Christian fathers had no problem with this interpreting of the Scriptures that way. Christ is the key to understanding this picture. The Son carrying the timber brings to our mind the only begotten Son of God carrying His cross to the place of sacrifice. And the Father with Him as the two of them both go alone together. Now, of course, at Calvary, there were many people present. There were many who saw Christ carrying his cross to Golgotha. There were many eyes upon the scene. There were many who witnessed it, the place of sacrifice at the cross. There was full of human activity. There was a whole hive of human beings about the place. There were Roman soldiers, They were the wicked persecutors of Christ. Do you remember how Christ said, All they that see me laugh me to scorn. He's surrounded by people looking at him. They they gaze upon me, he says. 
Many bulls have compassed me. They've beset me around about. The dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked, they enclose me and they pierce my hands and my feet. So there is a sense in which there were many, many with Christ when he was at the place of sacrifice at Calvary. And there were the godly women too as well, standing there in the distance, looking on. And we also were present by faith. By faith we come too to the scene, and we look on the scene, and we look at the place, and we, through the gospel window, we are there present at the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. So even our eyes are upon the historic scene of Calvary. But yet with all of that, there is an aspect of Calvary that is hidden, that is only really known by the Father and by the Son. An aspect that we cannot see, that we cannot comprehend, that we really know very little about. There's something deeply personal between the persons of the Father and of the Son on the way to Calvary and at the cross, just the two of them in the transaction of the work on Golgotha's tree. So not just men placing the cross on Jesus, you see. Not just men nailing the nails into his hands, piercing through him into the tree. Not just the nails of the Romans, not just the Roman sword, not just the Roman knife piercing his side. The Son does not only suffer at men's hands, the Father has a hand in it mysteriously. He has the fire, he has the knife. He places the wood upon his son. He places the cross upon him. There is that aspect of the transaction, the mystery of Calvary. What I am saying is that, in a sense, we are like those two servants that are left behind. There is a lot that we cannot see between the Father and the Son. Now, with the text of Scripture, we can enter somewhat into the great atonement and the understanding of it. But at the end of the day, who can really fathom it? Who can really understand it? If anybody says that they can understand it, they're proud. And they don't know at all anything about that transaction. Who can see and comprehend the father taking the sword and smiting his fellow and cutting through to his chief and dear shepherd. Who can grasp Christ being made sin for us? Who can really comprehend it? Not only being made sin for us, but the father making him to be sin for us, as the text says. The Father and the Son are together in this business, you see. It's not just the Son there alone. No, it's the Father is involved in it as well, who loves his Son and who loves the world and who gives his Son for the world. 
the innocent Son, the innocent Lamb offered up freely by the Father, God providing himself a Lamb. This we believe. This we confess. This we see by faith. But we confess also that there is much that we cannot see that is beyond our sight and our comprehension. But this we do know, that somehow God the Father was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself in the cross. And the Father was nailing to the cross things by his own hand. This we confess The Father knows all, the Father sees all, the Son knows all, the Son sees all, the Son submits fully to all. They alone know, and the Holy Spirit too, who gives to us the partial revelation of it in Scripture. The Holy Spirit knows it all too, and he has given to us what we do know of it in the text of the Word. So the three persons are there, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Even as the Holy Spirit is present here, giving to us the picture, the video of what is taking place. So men and women, a real transaction was wrought at Calvary between the Father and the Son. That's what I'm saying. They understand, even when we don't understand. The great sacrifice is not just the sacrifice of the Son alone, but the Father also is very present and has a hand in it. And that is what makes it saving. And so it's not our understanding and comprehension of the cross that saves us. Do you know that? It's not your comprehension and understanding of all the cross work that saves you. It's trusting that cross work that saves you. It's depending upon it, even when you do not fathom it. It's trusting in it as the finished work that saves you. So it's not understanding, but believing that saves your soul. Believing in this Christ, this sacrifice. There is a third thing here I see whenever I reflect on this picture. It is the pain and the suffering in this obedience. This is hard for Abraham. It's a heart-wrenching event. Surely we know that. Surely I don't have to enlarge on that or describe that in great detail. We see that he obeys God, but his heart breaks. Surely it breaks at the thought of having to slay his son. He shows no tears, but his heart must be weeping. He must be in pain. He must have inner agony and turmoil himself. And so you all realize that this is a picture in verse 6, our text, that is electrically charged. The atmosphere is electric and it's painful for Abraham. We even receive the shock from it to just read it. That a man is on the road to do this. It's a shock to us. We're electrified by it. 
even we could nearly weep at the scene. The wood he places on his son's back, the wood wherewith he will burn him to ashes, the fire he carries him in his hand, the fire that will ignite that timber that will burn his son to ashes, and the knife, the sharp knife, the blade, which he himself has no doubt sharpened in his other hand, the knife by which he will penetrate the bosom of his loving, obedient son. It's hard. There's pain here. He'll open the arteries of his son with that blade and he'll pour out his blood. Do you not see the pain of Abraham in the picture? Can you not see into his soul? That is why I think the Holy Spirit paints him carrying these things. Because they symbolize what he feels himself in his heart. That knife cuts into his heart. He feels the sharpness of that knife in his soul. He feels the agony of it a thousand times before he is able to put it even into his son's heart. It symbolizes his hurt. He has the knife before his son receives the knife. He has it coming into himself. And that fire, it symbolizes the burning, the agony, the frying that is taking place in his soul. And so Abraham's heart is cut. It is pierced and he feels it. And Abraham's soul is ignited burning with agony, burning inside with pain at the prospect of consuming his son to ashes. What he carries outwardly is what he feels inwardly. And that's why the Holy Spirit has painted it. To tell us this, Abraham is carrying a load far greater than that weight of timber on his son's back. Do you think Isaac is the only one carrying the load of the wood? He might be burying it physically, and that's hard enough, but Abraham, he's burying the mental and the emotional and the spiritual agony of carrying that timber. Isaac does not perceive what it is all about, the timber he burns. It's just a physical hardship. But Abraham has the mental burden of it, the emotional burden of it. He has a load of it in his heart. They are the symbols of his agony. And so the father feels all while the son patiently submits. You know who is the one in agony in this journey? It's not Isaac. It's the father. It's Abraham. He is hurting. Abraham's not a robot. That's what the Holy Spirit is telling us. He's a man of like passions as ourselves. He is not understanding what all of this is about, but he's still trusting, he's still obeying, and he still has pain. In our obeying God, we will feel pain. In our obeying God, we will feel many a hurt and many a cut. In our life, even where we lack understanding, we must still obey. Even in the pain, we must obey. 
And obeying God will bring to you hardships. And the most part of them will be mantle and internal in your heart. That brings me on to the last thing. We have in this picture a striking image for all pilgrims to keep in mind. Here Abraham is the pilgrim, you see, with pain in his heart, who carries the fire and who carries the sword, a fire and a sword that hurts him, and by which also he must hurt his son. He carries these things that cause hurt. It hurts him as it hurts his son, and he carries him in obedience to God. A fire and a sword wherewith he is to slay that which God commands. Now, we are not to take up the literal tools that are in this picture. We are never to slay men. We are never to kill men. We are never to put men to a stake and burn them to ashes. That was the great error of Romanism. That somehow the Christian church could engage in that. We are not to carry literal fire. We are not to carry a literal sword whereby we will slay men. We're not to do that. This is a unique situation here. Not as Christians, though it may be as uh, those who are part of a governing body and exercising their role as citizens, it may be that they may have to exercise the sword in that regard. But as Christians, private Christians, as a Christian church, we do not. The literal sword is in the hand of the state. But the Christian has other fire and another sword. And as pilgrims, we carry the fire and we carry the sword. We have these tools too. God's word. It's not my word like as a fire. Remember how the people said, did not our heart burn within us as he spoke the word to us? The word is fire. And the word is a sword. The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And then our obeying God, those are the tools that we have to carry. We have to carry the fire of the word. We have to carry the sword of the word. With them, we must hurt ourselves. For we must slay our sins. We must slay the things within our hearts. If we are going to obey God, it will hurt us. For we will have to kill sin. Our bosom sins. Our heart sins. We must spill the blood of our all iniquity. These tools must get to the very seat of sin within us must enter into our hearts, must burn up our lusts, must consume our iniquities, must cut off transgression and sin. By this flame, we must enlighten the darkness of our souls. And by this fire, we must illuminate our way through life. But also by it, we must bring it personally home so that it hurts us. And so mercifully, God does not command us to slay our children or our fellow man, not even our enemies. We must love everybody. We must love all men. But it may be that there are bosom sins that are loved. 
Maybe we have sins that are not easy to give up. We have to take the fire and the sword and to cut and to slay and to spill the blood of those sins. Sinful thoughts, sinful attitudes that have become ingrained into our mind and our psycho. It is only in the cutting, the piercing of the sword and the dividing that asunder from us that we obey God, cutting our pride. Everything has to be slain. Do you see whenever Abraham comes to slay his son? He is going to do it obediently, but it hurts him to slay his son. And sometimes we have to bring the fire and the sword to others. Preachers have to do that. Preachers have to bring the word to people to hurt them, to cut them, to slay their pride, to cut away their false standing. It's an awful task to be a faithful preacher. We have to bring the fire and the knife to the heart of men. Preachers have to do this all the time. But they must do it with the spirit of Abraham. As he is to slay his son, he loves him. But he has to do it. And preachers must love men that they bring the word to, to slay their pride, to slay them, to convict them, to get them to a place where they have to be feeling so helpless and humbled and need God. It can hurt them, but the word should also hurt the preacher who hurts them. The preacher often hurts when he wounds others with the word, and it's right to do so. He should do so because a preacher should love everybody he brings a word to. And you will not hurt someone that you love easily. And if you do hurt someone, you hurt yourself too and you feel it, you feel it. This isn't easy to do. And so this picture makes me think we who have to hurt others must also hurt ourselves and even feel more hurt ourselves in our hearts. We must love men even when we have to hurt them. We should break inside when we have to break others. The fire and sword should not be carried without love. And it should not be carried if we do not feel it ourselves. And so Christians should not love to preach hell. We don't love to preach hell. We're not kind of, oh, we're in glee when we're preaching the torments of eternal fire and the terrible wrath of Almighty God. Are these easy things to bring to people? Do we stand out there and just, oh, we just love this, you know, this is our rejoicing, this, this is our delight just to tell men they're on their way to hell. Is that what we are as Christians? No. These things are not easy to say.
We get no glee and satisfaction in convicting poor sinners. We're all poor sinners ourselves, you see. We've nothing to boast about. We're not, or at least should not be, self-righteous monsters who just enjoy giving offense. We don't enjoy it. And if we do, there's something wrong. You're a self-righteous monster if you enjoy it and don't feel. We do not love our delight to convict sinners and reduce them to broken, penitent weepers. We're like surgeons who want the cancer of sin out of the sinners. Lovingly want it out of them. But we don't love to hurt and to cut and to reduce them. It's not our delight to probe and convict and get in there to the conscience and, and you enjoy that. Ah, it may be that there are people who enjoy that. Probing the conscience and getting in there, half nosiness, half delight. That's not how men of God work. But probing through the word is necessary because our delight is their conversion and their salvation and that everlasting life which through grace we have ourselves become partakers of. So I think in wielding and using the sword, the sword should also be piercing our own hearts. And so in this picture we have a humble, contrite, tender man of God, Abraham, who obeys the Lord even in the most difficult matters without hesitation. He does it without any pride. He does it humbly. He does it tenderly. He does it with hurt in his soul. He does it obediently. And I say to you, such a man pictures our Lord Jesus Christ in the way he obeyed God. And so such was Christ, and such may we be given grace to be, through Christ, for his great name's sake and his glory.